VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, Linda Swain on this uh, Monday morning in for Patty Daly and uh, will be for the next uh, day or two while he takes a little break. Um, Dave, I had to do a double take then to see if it wasn't nine o'clock at night. Look how dark it is out there. Oh my goodness. It is absolutely black. Are the lights on and everything? My goodness gracious. Anyway, we're uh, set for a downpour if we're not already having it here in the uh, uh, Kenmount Road area of St. John's. Uh, wow, is it ever off-putting. <laughs> but be that as it may. Well, on Friday, the provincial government, and there's been discussion on this uh, for quite some time, and I've spoken with the former education minister uh, about it, uh, Tom Osborne, in the past numerous times, this whole idea of uh, final public exams and whether or not it accurately um, prepares students uh, for post-secondary education and the like, and if it's a proper assessment tool, well, the provincial government is going ahead now with its plans to eliminate uh, public exams. And of course, they haven't been held in the last little while, not since COVID, I don't think. Um, But they're going ahead with plans to eliminate public exams and come up with a an alternate assessment tool, if you will, uh, to assess students heading into post-secondary government, launching a consultation pro- uh, process with both parents and educators this fall to get their take on some proposed options for assessing high, high school students. It's hoped that a new assessment and evaluation model will be implemented in time for the 2025-26 school year. So if you have a child in what, grade nine now, they may not be writing their public exams when they graduate. Uh, Anyway, if you have thoughts on that, what do you think? And uh, what the Department of Education is proposing, and they haven't gone into a whole lot of detail about this, not publicly anyway, is uh, the introduction of a new assessment approach for literacy and numeracy that it says will not be attached to a particular subject or course, but will measure a student's skills in realistic situations. So I don't know what that means. Um, literacy and numeracy skills are different in carpentry, let's say, compared to uh, chemistry, maybe. Um, and, you know, I'm just talking off the cuff here now. But, you know, so how would that be applied in so-called realistic situations? And, you know, some people don't necessarily need to take certain skills with them through their career paths, while others absolutely do. Um, so it all depends um, on the circumstances. I would think it would be rather complicated, but... That's just me. Uh, So the assessments would take place in grade 10 with additional assessment opportunities in grades 11 and 12. Well, if anybody has any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. What do you think? Um, What do you think would be an appropriate model? Any teachers or former teachers out there who have any thoughts on the matter? Any students or former students who have any thoughts on the matter? I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, Did you feel 
prepared for post-secondary when you um, showed up. <laughs> uh, we know that a few years ago there was uh, the Premier's task force was put together because uh, universities were saying, you know what, uh, our high school system is uh, giving us students that are simply not prepared for uh, what we expect of them. So has has that scenario changed? I'd like to hear what you have to say. Also on the school front, noticing that uh, the uh, school board has introduced a new way of, uh, you know, from time to time you'll have, uh, we're doing this outing or uh, jerseys are coming in for this, so you have to pay this amount or whatever the case may be. There's always some little nominal fee that you have to pay for some thing or another over the course of a school year and instead of sending cash in with your student or dropping money off at the school or handing it uh, directly to the teacher they're doing it all electronically now there's going to be no more of that sort of thing um it i was (laughs) what i'm trying to say being a Monday morning, is that uh, I came across a scenario this weekend where um, I had to pay a certain amount for um, and, uh, a thing that my son was involved in, and uh, I couldn't do it electronically. <laughs> uh, it well, didn't appear to be set up yet, so I'm not sure how all that works. If anyone else has any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, this is a very ser- serious scenario that's been playing out right across Canada over the last number of days, and it affects a huge number of people in this country. India has suspended visa services in Canada as the diplomatic rift between the two nations widens. India accuses Canada of harboring terrorists, while Canada maintains that Canadian law must be respected and Canadian citizens be safe on Canadian soil. So what does this all mean for Indians living in Canada or even Canadian citizens of Indian descent who want to go home? and visit their families, uh, go home and do business, whatever the case may be. What about uh, students or temporary foreign workers here now who are suddenly in this position of not being able to get a visa? Um, Or even this province's recruitment attempts in India right now. Has this effectively shut that down? Are we going to have any success recruiting uh, nurses, for instance, from India to come here when they don't know if they'll be able to get a visa to come back home to visit their families? Or even, you know, like I said, conduct a bit of business or whatever the case may be. Um, I'd love to hear from people who might be affected by this or anyone who knows someone who may be affected. By all means, do give us a call. I see Premier Andrew Fury is up along meeting in Quebec City with uh, the governors of the New England states and Atlantic premiers, as well as uh, Quebec Premier Francois Legault. No doubt the Atlantic Loop will be part of that conversation and our mutual energy needs in the general region. Perhaps Gull Island will be uh, discussed a little more um, extensively than some of those tweets that Premier Legault sent out last week about, or the week before, about Gull Island and discussions that he was having with Hydro-Quebec. Um, uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. And um, uh, Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky paid a visit to Ottawa late last week addressing Parliament and asking for greater support from Canada. 
Canada for the war in Ukraine and the Russian invasion, but he's facing some additional challenges of late. The U.S. Congress split on continued support for Ukraine, and even one of the country's staunchest allies, Poland, now taking a harder stance with its continued ban of Ukrainian grain imports. Well, uh, Zelensky was asked about that when he met with reporters after his address to Parliament on Friday, and he's blaming continued Russian disinformation for sowing further divisions. And of course, I don't know if you were following the news on Friday or not, but uh, there were all kinds of uh, cyber issues on Friday uh, when Zelensky showed up in Ottawa. In fact, Tim Powers mentioned that this morning, a bunch of things went glitzy, so uh, it's um, supposed to be... um, Russia keeping an eye on Zelensky and just reminding everybody that they have uh, tendrils just about everywhere. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. But I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you have to say. Anything you've been brewing or sitting on all weekend that you uh, have to get off your chest, pick up the phone, give us a call. Here are some of the numbers to do so. And I have to say, it is alarmingly dark out there right now. Uh, it's one of those things that sort of throws you off. Uh, I see, like, the lights are on, the street lights, and everything. It's really ominous. Um, we're going to start the show this morning with uh, John Harris, the Director of External Affairs with Munsu. Hello, John. Hey, how's it going, Linda? Good. Is that dark cloud over you right now? Uh, oh yeah, I mean it's it's pretty miserable out there, but uh, you know, start to the week we've got to get going. Got students are in class. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But it's almost uh, I don't know foreboding for this situation that's developed between uh, Canada and India. We have so many Indian students attending Memorial University, and uh, not to mention profs and staff, and the list goes on and on. Uh, people with uh, deep connections to that country. What kind of an effect is this having? Well, absolutely. Uh, It's of great concern to Munsu, especially when the conversation surrounding visas, uh, not services being closed from uh, India. Uh, I'm I'm very concerned. I want to let any you know Indian student uh, know that we're here for you if you want to reach out and uh, come help in, in in this time of you know great. Uh, you know, concern and and also uh, of not knowing what the future holds between the relationship with India and, and Canada. Certainly, they have to be feeling very alone right now. But uh, there are a lot of people who are reaching out to help. Yeah, I, I I think that the you know unfortunate part is that students, especially international students, get the brunt of these kind of issues when uh, when countries uh, are are you know face these kind of international crises. It's it's usually it's usually the most vulnerable that get uh, affected, and that in this case is international students who just want to come to Canada for education and feel safe. And now we have warnings like uh, from coming from the, the from India saying that uh you know students should be uh exercising the utmost of caution in 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 Canada and i think there's some very you know, you know scary things uh for uh, international especially coming from uh india and 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 for six as well uh after this you know violent uh assassination of of, of a sikh um and, and canadian citizen in in canada so have you had students come to you and say uh what do I do now? 
there there's definitely been some murmurs of concern but uh right now we're we're still kind of waiting for more information and we want to make sure that you know the uh, people know that we have you know their backs in any situation uh, we can give access to a lawyer to any uh, immigration lawyer for any student that needs it uh and we're here to help in, in any kind of concern that that students have do you have a good communication with um, the federal government, for instance, uh, keeping you abreast of the latest developments and, and um, you know, actions that can be taken on the ground here to help students? We, we haven't yet spoken to any federal uh, official, but uh, we'll be in, in, in communication when, uh, when the need arises. Uh, there's, a, you know, definitely a, uh, a need for that kind of communication, especially you know, with the federal counterpart of perhaps the, the MP's office. Uh, can help out in that situation, but the you know it's 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 very concerning when we're hearing you know constantly in the news that that the the relationship is beginning to become more and more fraught. Uh, we don't know what direction this is going in, so we really hope that it can clear up and we can have some clarity from the federal government as well for uh, international students coming from India. And I guess uh, just continually repeat the message that uh, you know uh, we're there for you. Is it, whatever we can do, we'll we'll do it for. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's it's an amazing opportunity to be in, in university with students from all over the world. And when these situations internationally arise, we have to be there for those students. So uh, I, I totally, totally agree. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for bringing this attention to light. For sure. Any idea how many um, uh, people might be affected on, on MUN campus right now? How many students we may have uh, who have come here directly from India? Well, about uh, you know, 30% of, of MUN students are international students. Uh, a great deal of them uh, are, are coming from the Indian subcontinent. Not necessarily a lot of Bangladeshi students which, who will not be affected. But there are still you know, hundreds of uh, students coming from India as well. Uh, who may uh, may or may not be, you know, affected vis-a-vis uh, -vis their immigration status uh, when it comes to Canada and India's relationship. I know that visa services have been cut off for uh, from the Indian government, uh, so that is very unfortunate. I hope that Canada will uh, not, you know, retaliate by cutting off services for uh, our, our our counterparts, but the. Uh, we're definitely we're definitely still in the, the early you know stages of seeing what this means for for students, but we'll definitely be uh, you know reaching out more to the federal government and and uh, and students and seeing how how they're personally affected. John, I, I, I you know I've been at this for a long time and uh, um, since before you were born, no doubt. <laughs> but I, I can't remember seeing a, a diplomatic rift uh, uh, to this extent that affects so many people. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I think that you know, whenever there's a say a, a, a disaster in, in Libya where there was massive flooding or you know natural disasters, we always you know are very keen. Or you know, war in the case of Ukraine, or uh, you know, civil unrest in the case of Iran, we're always keen to connect with our, our, our students and, and and seeing how we can help. And these kind of massive issues that are international also affect students on the ground here. At Mun, the diplomatic rift that is created by you know a foreign government uh, assassinating a foreign or a, a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil is 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 a new 
new one for 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 me uh and that is very uh you know we're very very uh concerned that this relationship is going to completely topple uh there doesn't seem to be much movement uh in in a positive direction so far and uh you know we're great great concern for uh students in in from from India in this uh university and and for for Sikhs as well uh feeling un, unsafe in the uh, in Canada, we we don't want that to happen. Is, is it? Um, I mean, obviously, it's part of your job uh, with Munsu to um, deal with these matters. But it seems to me like you just uh, you just gave a, a really good overview of some of the things that you've been dealing with recently. I mean, to be on top of all of these international um, matters, in addition to just watching out for the student body. Absolutely, I, I think that. To be a, a, a good representative of, of students, we have to understand all students' concerns and what may be uh, not important to the average person in, in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, where it may not affect them, uh, like international issues, are very close to home for a lot of our students. So we have to be abreast of all these kind of situations and how they may affect uh, our students. And we will need to be in constant contact with with the students from 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 India on this and and hearing more uh, and more as we go on and how we can best help i think that there's you know there's often uh campaigns and and actions as well attached to these international concerns there was uh, iranian students on campus have been very active uh in terms of fighting for uh their 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 rights and uh, the the unrest in Iran that's currently going on. So we'd like to support uh, students as well on these international issues. And if there's you know some thing that can be done, we we would love to help uh, in terms of campaigns as well. Well, John, uh, I know it's a, a lot to uh, take in, and we're all watching this uh, unfolding uh, development very closely. I really appreciate you taking the time with us this morning. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Linda. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. And John Harris is the Director of External Affairs with Munsu at Memorial University. We are going to go now to uh, Don. You're on the air. Hi, Don. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? This is the first time I've talked to you. Oh, well, hello. Thank you. Um, contraband cigarettes. Let's start there. All right. Okay, so where's the contraband coming from? Well, in this province, probably, I don't know, I can't guess. Maybe St. Pierre, well, I, I don't know. I can tell you because, because I buy them, so I can tell you. You buy illegal smokes? Yes, I do. Why, why do not? You, why do you buy illegal smokes? Because why would I go over to the store and buy a carton of cigarettes for $160 mm-hmm. when I can buy them from the First Nations for 60 all right. Now, if you if you want to fuel that fire, tell the federal government to start taxing the indigenous people for selling cigarettes off the reservations. Some of that, and that's where they come from. All right. So where are you getting them then? Well, I'm getting them from any supplier I can get them from. Okay. There's all kinds of them. There's hundreds of them. All right. So you're not part of the problem then. No, I think the part of the problem is the government overtaxed the cigarettes and not letting the people have a fear or shake. Right. So what are you going to do? You can buy a chicken for $10. 
or you can buy one for five. What are you going to do? Well, everybody's going to go for the cheaper option. Right. But would you do it if you know it's illegal? Would you do it if you know there are consequences? I know there's consequences, but everything in life got a consequence. Including smoking. what I'm saying. Why don't just the federal government just go in and tax the indigenous um, things and tell them, listen here, you're not getting away with this no more. Contrabands come from your nations, you're going to pay. No. Now, you live in New Zealand, you go buy an $80,000 truck. If you've got Indian status, you don't have to pay tax. Now, that don't make sense to me. Well, there's always going to be people who are going to circumvent that. But for, for years, uh, that's been the case, that if you're First Nations, you do, do not pay tax because you're the first people who lived here. So, No, they weren't. Uh, listen, in Newfoundland Labrador, in Mac Canada, there, I'm, I'm saying in Newfoundland Labrador. Newfoundland Labrador is part of Canada. I know it is. My God, you guys want to argue, but the Mi'kmaq people from, from Newland came with the French. They destroyed the Beotic people. You know your history? Continue. Do you know your history? There was Beotics here in Newland. And the Mi'kmaq came over with the French. And they don't have indigenous rights in Canada? Now they do, yes, because if I can go in and murder one clan, can I take right to that land? All right. Uh, Don, uh, appreciate your call this morning. No, because you're mad now, because I'm old enough for Canada I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I don't, that doesn't bother me. Should bother you. But what I am say, what I am trying to say is that uh, you're trying to blame one group and, and suggesting that they don't have I'm rights, even though they have the rights. Federal government for not taxing the Indian nations on their cigarettes, but they'll tax me at my door for I gotta go to asshole get a kind of cigarette hundred sixty bucks. I can buy them for sixty dollars from the Indian nation. So why yeah, don't so you're taking advantage of that. Of course I am, wouldn't you? And you're complaining about it? I'm not complaining. Everybody on, t- on your show so you want about So you want the government to tax the cigarettes that you're buying illegally? Yes, because then we wouldn't have a problem with these people coming on your show and talking about contraband, talking about this, talking about that. Get rid of it all. Just get rid of it. Tax everybody fairly, and the question's over. All right, Don, thanks for your call. Have a good morning. Bye-bye. He wants government to tax the cigarettes that he's paying (laughs) tax-free. Oh, you know, all right, fair enough. I, I think I understand what he's trying to say there. Uh, anyway, if you have anything to, to uh, talk about, by all means, do give us a call. We have some lines currently open. Now is your chance to do so on this uh, dark and miserable Monday morning. Here are the numbers to call. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. 
And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. Well, uh, one of the conversations we've been having at length for the last number of, oh my goodness, it feels like forever now, is uh, the rising cost of living, of course, grocery prices. And um, I noticed that, you know, a lot of the conversation is around, you know, how do we address grocery prices and um, uh, fruits and vegetables in particular. We just came out of a, a wellness week um, activities here in Newfoundland and Labrador and one of the conversations was around you know how to make groceries more affordable and I know that uh, federal government officials met with the uh, uh, owners of some of the big um, grocery chains last week to have that conversation uh, but I noticed myself uh, the other day when I uh, grabbed a quick lunch um, that uh, the item that I had purchased you know you if you go through the the, the checkout window just for um, expediency if you only have one item and I often do you know and it says 624 and so i uh, got my card out was ready to tap it and no no it was seven something 749 or something like that i can't remember exactly but it was considerably more than 624 uh so i uh, tapped it when i got the the bill it showed hst on that and i said huh here we are so I bought this little lunch wrap type thing, and I was charged nearly a dollar uh, in HST, driving that cost up. And I said, well, that's very interesting. Now, uh, traditionally, they didn't used to put taxes on grocery items, but they do on grocery items that are prepared I understand is that correct um, and, and this is just my general understanding I'm not saying this is factual but anything that's been you know chopped up or packaged or uh, you know altered in any way or you know what I mean um, and one time that was you know you'd have a little deli case perhaps where you'd get some of those items now it seems to me that more and more of uh, the grocery store that you might travel to and uh, frequent in your travels um, more and more of the items that you purchase there are these ready-made ready-to-eat kind of things so is the HST applied to all of that then and what would that do in helping to alleviate uh, some of this crunch that we're feeling i know a lot of seniors go to those types of counters because you know rather than buy all the items to make a big meal because they're not going to make a big meal uh they'll buy something ready to make uh, ready to eat if you know what i mean and so they're being charged tax on that is that something that government is looking at the way that these items are taxed as a way to bring down the costs. I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. By all means, give us a call because we're all affected. We're going to go now to Susan Curran in Conception Harbor. Hello, Susan. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good. Is it Susan or Suzanne? Suzanne. Oh, Suzanne. I'm sorry about that. What brings no you to problem. us this morning? Um, I'm calling from the town of Conception Harbor, and I just wanted to share a little good news story to start everybody's week off. Fabulous. Uh, fabulous. Uh, we're currently undergoing some uh, upgrades to our recreational facility, and um, we had support through 
a grant as well. So we've been raising some money for this over the last year. And um, unfortunately, with things that were happening in the town lately, the town's portion of the project uh, was no longer available to us, which equated to about $8,000. So we found this information out last week, and of course it was it was a blow to our group and to the community uh, because this 8000 really was equivalent to 32000 with the matching grant. Oh, I see. So without the municipal side of that, you don't get the additional federal and provincial, is that correct? Um, well, yes. Uh, we had $15,000 ourselves as the committee to um, offer to the project, but the, uh, the eight would have brought us up to 23. Gotcha. So with the matching grant, our project would have been at eighty-three, eighty-three, eighty-four thousand $84,000 in total. So without that eight, we were down... 30, really, thirty-two thousand. Wow! So, so that's a big gap to fill. <laughs> it it was. So we pleaded. Uh, we were supposed to have our budget numbers ready for last week, but we pleaded with the agency and asked if we could have a little bit of extra time. And um, we were very fortunate that they did. So they gave us an extra couple of days to come up with the money. So we put a plea out to our community and to our businesses. And sorry if I'm getting a little bit emotional, but it's been a very um, overwhelming week. Uh, we put a goal on of $8,000. And um, this morning we're happy to report that we actually made $12,000. In Little Conception Harbor. In Little Conception Harbor. And there was some surrounding businesses and people outside of the community as well. Um, I, it's... It's been amazing to see that support shown to us. <laughs> That's extraordinary. It is. It is. It is. And I just wanted to share that, that, um, you know, there's been some dark clouds over the town lately, but it's not all dark, and the, <laughs> the clouds are parting, and I think we're going to come out of this bigger and better, and our new motto is Better Together. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, so despite that adversary, uh, you managed to triumph with the help of the community. So uh, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now on this uh, this rec center. Okay, well, um, the, our current members have been on the committee for probably the last eight, nine, ten years. And we've been actively fundraising. We've been doing uh, JCA. We, we were very successful with that for 92 weeks. So um, over the last six years, we've put about $300,000 worth of uh, infrastructure into our field, completely brand new playground, into our area, completely brand new playground, a brand new basketball court, a batting cage. We've replaced the sods and the uh, fencing on our ball field. And so we had a little, <laughs> what we jokingly called a little shack on the field where um, we have some of our equipment and things. So what's going to happen now, uh, that shack is getting a makeover, and uh, we, we were able to build a new sh storage shed to keep the things that were currently in there. So we're going to be able to have a little kitchen for canteen, an accessible washroom. And <laughs> what our biggest, our biggest plus was from this and what, what we were really looking forward to gaining with this was a large pavilion, gazebo-type structure, which would offer as a shelter uh, for our kids in the summer program uh, for picnics, barbecues, uh, spectators during sporting events. Um, and 
and we're going to have it. We're going to have it. Uh, in the coming weeks, all of these things are going to be completed on our field, and we're just over the moon, over the moon with the support. Oh, that's such a wonderful story. Just imagine now, and I mean, I, I know and we understand because we've been having these conversations over the last little while of some of the, the very serious difficulties that Conception Harbor has faced over the last little while. So this is, mm-hmm. this really, uh, I guess, puts a bit of bounce back in your step. It sure does. And it's, and it's not just the monetary support, it's the words of encouragement and the emails and the posts and the messages and the people driving, the driving force behind us. So on Friday, we had a little group in the community reach out and they wanted to do a toll bridge for us yesterday. So our fire department came up to help with safety and uh, we did a two-hour toll bridge yesterday, which raised $2,100. Uh, I'd also like to send a shout out to Oliver Freeze Dry Candy in our community. Wonderful supporters. They actually donated 100 bags of Skittles yesterday and made special labels, uh, Conception Harbor Recreation Better Together, that we placed on those bags. So we were able to give those out to the first 100 donors that stopped by. Um, other, I, I don't want to start mentioning other businesses in the town with fear of forgetting somebody, but but it's been it's been wonderful to see how a community who two weeks ago were feeling defeated has risen above the challenge and is moving forward for better days. Amazing, and uh, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, we think about all of the very very uh, serious challenges facing uh, people these days, and and not only on, on an individual basis, but when you think about national politics and international politics and the like. But when it comes to um, things like recreation, these are the things that help to build communities. These are the things that, in the end, will help people decide: Do I stay here? Do I go? Do I move there? Um, and these are vitally important, especially in rural Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, we've been so proud over the last number of years to visit our structure any given day. And there's somebody in some capacity using what's there. The playground, um, there's always kids there, uh, families, and there's the basketball court, which is also used a lot of times as a hockey rink for the um, and then, of course, the ball field is always busy and the batting cage. Uh, we have a lot of very talented ball players in our community, so that's used a lot. And I also forgot to mention the beautiful walking, paved walking trail we added last year um, to the facility as well. It's a trail right around the outside of the ball field. So there's been um, a lot of people coming from our community and, out- and the surrounding communities who have been availing of that as well. Suzanne Curran, I couldn't be happier for your call this morning, uh, on, especially on this dreary, dreary old day. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and we appreciate your time and, and allowing us to share our excitement and uh, emotion this morning. Thank you Is so much. Is there going to be like a big grand opening kind of... You betcha. You betcha. There will be details to follow. Details to come. Yeah. Suzanne, do keep us on top of it. Better together. We're always better together, and we always like to give back and show how grateful we are for support. So you can, you can be sure that uh, that's going to happen. Oh, wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for your call this morning, and keep us on, uh, up to date on this, will you? We will. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very and much. Linda, if, if, you, if it's okay, I'll yeah. just put one... 
one last plug in that uh, we had up until uh, noon today to uh, raise this money. And again, the, the $8,000 was our initial goal. But whatever we can contribute today will be matched with the grant. So we have told people that we're still receiving um, transfers if anybody would still like to donate to the project because we've overnight, even though we reached our goal overnight, we still have people reach out saying they still wanted to add to the amount we had. So if there's anybody out there they can um, and wants to send along their donation, we're still gladly accepting them. Wonderful. And how can they do so if they don't already know? So our email is Recreation at gmail.com. Sea Harbor, as in Conception Harbor, Recreation, yep. all one word, yep. at uh, gmail.com. Gmail .com. Super, Suzanne, all the best to you. And they, Or they could check out our Facebook page as well, Conception Harbor Recreation, and they would see all those beautiful posts there as well. Um, we also posted over the weekend uh, the towns and the individuals, not, not mon monetary mentions, but just uh, acknowledged our givers over the weekend as well. So uh, anybody who wants to go and check that out, uh, feel free to do so. <laughs> Thank you once again. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. Suzanne Curran with the Conception Harbor Recreation Committee. Uh, what a wonderful story on a dreary old day. When we come back, we're going to tell you another interesting uh, good news story. We're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Todd Young, uh, Medical Director of uh, Medicuro or Ma Main Street Medical Clinic in Springdale. When we come back right after this. And we're back. Uh, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. We're going to go now to Springdale to speak with Dr. Todd Young, the medical director of Main Street Medical Clinic. Hello, Dr. Young. Oh, hi. Good morning. How are you this morning? Not too bad, thanks. That's good. So uh, we noticed a little uh, post that you had made indicating that uh, you're, having, you're seeing great success in recruiting uh, physicians. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, no, I did that post on uh, last week. We were uh, noticing a bit of a uh, less request coming through, and uh, we just want to be able to share with uh, with people that are looking for access that uh, we're able to. Uh, we've got more physicians on board now with our Medicare platform, and uh, that we're able to um, you know accommodate more requests. So, um, and it's been a, obviously a great response to that because uh, there's lots of people needing uh, needing healthcare. Of course, you know we have had great success though with recruiting physicians. Uh, you know when we look at recruitment, we know the things that are important are uh, you know work-life balance, uh, working together in teams. We know that physicians are looking for uh, you know enough volume to keep their practice uh, going and, and be professionally uh, happy access to professional development and the other thing of course innovation and flexible opportunities and that that's what's been shown to be very important to physicians when uh, when recruiting them to different areas so we've been able to word of mouth has also been very powerful i think we have physicians that work with our uh, uh, virtual health clinic that uh, are been quite satisfied and they talk to their colleagues and then they they kind of hop on board as well and they can see as many or as little in a day as they want, up to uh, the Department of Health uh, imposed cap, of course, of 40. So what are you doing differently, if anything, uh, from, let's say, the provincial government? What what do you think is helping in, in your recruitment success? Well, I think, well, when I go back, well, so 
you know, we have recruitment success, but we also have retention success. So, you know, we've been able to keep all the physicians pretty much that have hopped on board with, with the virtual platform. Um, you know, how it goes is the flexibility, I think, is the selling point, right? And so physicians every day contact our staff and say, you know, I would, uh, I'm available, available today to see 10 patients virtually or I'm available to see 30 patients, virtually, whatever. It's whatever they want, and it could be in the morning from 9 to 11 or if they want to do them in the evening, you know, 8 to 9 p.m., that's okay as well. It's the flexibility. They're in control of their schedule. And that is a, a very, very important piece that I think is being, uh, you know, is very satisfying to them. So they can work whenever they want according to the other demands in their life, which could be professional or personal or family commitments or whatever. So this isn't their only gig, we'll say. Um, they, you know, are able to carve out a little time, let's say on a Monday or a whatever. Um, yeah. Is that what you're suggesting is kind of a part-time thing when they want to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, yeah, I would say, you know, the majority, except for maybe one or two physicians, uh, are, uh, this, this is augmenting their professional uh, schedule. So what they've been able to do is, uh, you know, still maintain if they're working at a walk-in clinic, still maintain some emergency room work. But they, you know, they enjoy doing the virtual as well. They can do it from the privacy of their home, uh, comfort, and uh, with the schedule that suits their life the best. And are they primarily here in Newfoundland and Labrador, or are you recruiting from all over? 100% from here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So they're already um, practicing physicians in this province? Yeah, so they do this on top of some of their other duties. Yeah. And uh, how do they get paid through um, MCP? Yeah, so there's a virtual code that was that came as a, a part of the pandemic initiative, and uh, so they bill MCP. Yeah. And is that increasing the number of patients who do get access to a physician? Well, we think so. I mean, what? What? Uh, definitely. I mean, there's. Uh, I don't think there's any going back uh, when it comes to not having virtual, I think, you know, one of the principles of Medicare and, and uh, you know, one of the guiding principles is sustainability, and I'm committed to that. I believe, you know, virtual care, uh, lots of it can be managed, uh, vir- lots of health issues can be managed virtually. We have a predominantly rural population. We have, uh, you know, we're, we're all supposed to be uh, doing our best to um you know, both address the economics of our patients and also uh, doing doing our part for climate change. I really think virtual care actually is, as a part of my sustainability plan, is very important to both of those. Why should somebody have to drive uh, two to three hours to the nearest hospital for a basic uh, healthcare concern that can be addressed virtually? Um, you know, it saves gas on that as well, but it also uh, protects our climate. So um, how does this business model work? Is it somebody that you have to have registered with you or can somebody who says, you know what, all I need is my prescription refilled and I'm not driving to Grand Falls to get that. Um, you know, who, who is your patient um, base? Yeah, so the most, of, most of our patients, we know we have about 100, 
40,000 orphan patients in the province. Uh, so the majority of our visits are uh, orphan patients. So they are not attached to a regular provider. And then we have some, of course, that uh, have regular providers but can't get in to see them. So that's another subset, I guess, of, of who access our services. And then we have others that uh, may have a regular provider that uh, still reach out for, you know, some uh, same-day things such as episodic illnesses, refills of prescriptions that they can't get or that the pharmacy can no longer uh, extend. And uh, are you, you know, growing all the time? Uh, you know, are you, it, obviously this is meeting with uh, success. So, yeah, each month we're seeing growth. Uh, you know, on average, in the past three months, we've seen between eight and 9,000 patients per month. That's extraordinary. How would that compare, let's say, to a, a you know, bricks-and-mortar kind of doctor's office, I wonder? Well, I guess, it, you know... Uh, it's hard to compare with that, but I mean, it's as we have more physicians coming on, we have more capacity. And I think that going back to the post on Friday, it was a way of saying, you know, we do have increasing capacity and uh, just letting people know that. So we now have 23 physicians that work with us. Uh, those 23 physicians as well, one of the things uh, that we know works well for re recruitment and retention is having that, uh, you know, good uh, interprofessional collaborative team. And I think, you know, they're in touch with each other every day. So, for example, if there's a physician who has a seen a patient in Cornerbrook, um, they'll reach out to one of our physicians that are over there saying, you know, who's the best specialist to send for this, send a patient to for this or that or whatever. So it is a really good, cohesive, uh, well-functioning, collaborative team of physicians. And then we have uh, other allied health as well, and, uh, and we have a nurse practitioner. And uh, anybody can avail of this service wherever they are in Newfoundland and Labrador? Yeah, correct. Uh, via computer or? Yeah, so they go to the website, medicuro.ca, and uh, we've been in existence now for three to four years, I guess, And but just since, you know, pen, uh, since the pandemic, of course, things have really exploded. And do you, f do you have government coming to you and saying, uh, you know, uh, uh, how can we, you know, adopt your model or... How is that working? No, I, I can't really say they're knocking on my door, uh, but that's okay. They can uh, learn from example. <laughs> so, uh, no, you know what, though, in fairness, the Department of Health uh, and I, we've, we've had many discussions, and uh, they recognize uh, the help that, we, uh, that we're offering patients. And uh, I think at very little cost to the system when compared to the bricks-and-mortar model. So it's a good relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dr. Todd Young, I really appreciate your time on this uh, fascinating uh, topic. And, you know, it's something that Newfoundland and Labrador, as we all know, has, has been grappling with for some time, right across Canada, as a matter of fact, but especially here in Newfoundland and Labrador, where we have so many uh, smaller communities spread out of, over such a huge geographic area. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, Dr. Todd Young, Medical Director, Main Street Medical Clinic, and uh, the uh, founder of Medicuro, now with uh, 23 physicians signed on. We are going to go now to Ted. You're on the air. Hi, Ted. Good morning, Linda. How are you this morning? Excuse me. I'm very well now, young uh, young lady. It's been a long time since I spoke to you. It was not that I didn't try. I don't do much, uh, I don't do much of this stuff now. I... Uh, uh, I, I have a, a 
I have a sports question for you, but I'll wait. Uh, that's not why I called, but I'm going to throw the question at you anyway. I think you're on top of sports, too, right? Uh, well, <laughs> only nominally. Only... Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Linda, uh, yesterday, um, I was, you know, before the football game uh, game come on, I, 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 I just live here on the Roaches line, so I took a run out to the Legacy Center in Cubits, right? I've been spending a bit of time there lately, lately in True Patty's show, sort of promoting the art exhibit and all that stuff, right? So I went out to see, uh, I went out to see the young lady that works there. She's an artist too. I don't mind giving her name because I bought some of her stuff, uh, Brianna Fowler. But I didn't get a chance to have a, a chat with her because when I looked, there was a big bus pulling in called Maritime Bus Tours. Okay. And the people on that, Linda, were from all over different parts of Canada. And the point I'm trying to make now is this. And I'm surprised because I'm not that much. But it seems to me that the tourism industry is a big industry in this province. Oh, it certainly is. And, uh, and I, you know, I say that because I know, like, uh, through, this, through the summer and things like that, right, I usually drop down to... Uh, Scott and Thomas dropped down for a chat down to the Mad Rock Cafe, which is well known, like okay, in in the in the province there in, in Bay Roberts, right? But I was thinking about the tourism, and I'm thinking about it. It's been a great boost to the province, but I I think that I'm wondering uh, are our roads in that up to par? You know, for traveling, I didn't hear any complaints, but facilities for tourists. Do we have enough facilities, okay? Because a, tourist, a lot of tourists are people that are retired and are on budget, right? And it's very expensive now to check into a hotel. So I think, I think what's on the increase in the province, and I could be wrong because I don't follow this very much, but just, I just think about it, right? I think the bread and breakfasts, I think, have been on a big increase in this province. Am I right? Um, well, bed and breakfasts have been struggling a little bit because of this whole Airbnb thing. Okay, that's okay. I get tangled up. Okay. I, thank you. Okay, because I haven't got a clue what Airbnb is. I thought that was a, like the bread and breakfast thing. That's yeah, no, an Airbnb is uh, somebody who owns a, uh, owns a home, let's say, for instance, and uh, rents it out for oh. tourists and that sort of thing. So very different from a, from a bed and breakfast, which has to be registered and all of that sort of thing. Well, well, thank you for filling me in on that because I, uh, I, I hear about your B and B, whatever it is, right? But um, I met some, uh, I met some interesting tourists myself the year, like you know, because I type of person I speak to people, right? And uh, actually, um, some Americans I met there. The man was in his son. He was 87. He was very active uh, playing golf and that, right? So I. Uh, you know, friendly with him, and his his roots, uh, his mother, and his father, had both came from the uh, Bay Roberts area. Well, I could fill him in on. No, one was Bay Roberts, the other one was Coley's Point. At one time, there were two different towns, and now they're all into one, right under the town of Bay Roberts, right? And being born in Bay Roberts, I was well. He considered a great help to him on his uh, mother's side of the family. Okay. So I filled them in there, and they were really, really, really good people. And then uh, I put them on the people then that could help him on the uh, on his father's side, okay? But uh, I don't want to get off track. 
But what I'm saying is this. I think that tourism is is going to be, unless we come down with some other kind of a, you know, what's going on now with all this climate and this COVID and things, right? But I think the tourism industry is, is, is and is going to be a major, major industry in this province for years to come. There's a lot of historic uh, things to see here because I pointed out to one of the people out there in Cubits, um, I said, this is the oldest British colony in North America, okay? But when I looked at the uh, paper the other day, the uh, local paper that comes out, uh, Shoreline, yeah, on the front page, I saw an article there that was of great interest to me, uh, you know, as a person. I think you may be aware of it, of these tunnels that they've undercovered in Carbonair. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? That is... Uh, that's a major topic now with, from what I read with the town council in Carbonear, okay? Um, there's, 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 these, this is the kind of things that will attract tourists. Yes. And I hope that the town of Carbonear does everything they can to preserve this, those tunnels. There's no major decision made on that, according to what I read in the paper, okay? Yeah. But Ted, I would... we're overdue for the news now. I'm going to have to move on to your sports question very quickly, and Brian Bedore is on the ready to uh, to uh, back me up. Uh, good for Brian, Brian Bedore. <laughs> I wanted to get Patty going this morning. Okay, women's hockey. All right, they've got three teams now in uh, Ottawa, Montreal, and I don't know the other, uh, the other city. What rinks are those teams? This question was thrown at me the other morning. I couldn't answer it. What rinks are they playing at in these uh, in these in these cities? I haven't the foggiest clue. Brian Medor, help us out here. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just uh, speaking with Noah. Just came in. What was the question? Yeah, go for it again, Ted. Brian, uh, the. Uh, uh, the women's hockey, that new league, we got they got three teams. You know what I mean? You know, like Marie Philippe, Poulain, and them. Mm-hmm. They've got three teams now in Canada. They got one in Ottawa, one in Montreal, and I'm not sure what the other city is. Toronto. What rinks are they playing out of? Not sure the exact rinks they'll be playing out of. It is professional, so that, you know that probably that would be uh, a point of negotiation obviously with the various facilities and depending on situations i'm not sure if they've gotten to that point but uh, it certainly would be a point of negotiation okay and uh, i'll run by, by patty another morning all right uh, ted we'll have to leave it there because brian is actually waiting to go on the news okay thank you brian very <laughs> much appreciate that sir right you are Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks, Ted. Thank you, Linda. And Bye-bye. thank you, Brian. Yeah. Um, and uh, Brian's up now with news. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. We're going to go now to a uh, former MP and former mayor, Rex Barnes. Hello. Hello, Rex. Hello. How are you? Oh, not too bad. That's good. A long time since you and I chatted. Oh, it's been uh, many years, I should say. Yeah. How you doing? Good. That's good. I wanted to call this morning because... Uh, uh, I mean, we sit around the coffee tables and we say certain things and, you know, and we don't bother to do what we should be doing, and that is calling and voicing opinions on the cost of living. And For sure. And it's affecting every last one of us. 
Well, that's right, you know, and uh, what amazes me is that I, I don't know if I missed it, but I haven't heard the lobby groups come out, uh, you know, speaking out about the cost of living for seniors, for ordinary individuals, because I think sometimes, you know, and this is a shocking thing to say, I, I think we're all too politically motivated. Uh, with regards to our own little groups that well, we don't want to offend anyone because we mightn't get funding or something. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, sometimes it makes me wonder. I mean, if you look at the federal government, the interest rate hikes, I know the Bank of Canada determines that and everything else, but the federal government do have, as far as I'm concerned, some input into where this is going. I mean, you you take people on minimum wage who who I've been told by people that I know that when their mortgage came off, you know, you know, it went up $150 probably. Where, where are they getting this money when they can hardly pay their light bill? You know what I mean? And, but no one cares. It appears that no one cares that this is happening. You take the gas tax, the carbon, the taxes on gas and the carbon tax. I mean, it's killing Newfoundland and Labrador. It's killing some parts of Canada. But again, no one seems to care. Where are people, where are the lobby groups speaking out vigorously that the government's supposed to be listened to? You know, I mean, here, every now and then we hear that uh, the federal government's going to forgive corporations for taxes, millions of dollars of taxes. But to go after low-income people who own, well, who basically owe five or six or seven thousand dollars, well, the reason why they owe, owe that is they, they probably can't afford to pay it back. So what are you going to do? Take money from the poor again and and make them not pay another bill? I mean, the government needs to, the federal government should be looking at probably low-income seniors, low-income people that forget the $150 to give out here and 150 here. Better off having tax-free exemptions. Well, have exemptions for these individuals who can't afford to live right now. At least you're going to put the money back into the economy. So government's still going to get money. You and are taxes provincial? contributing to the rise in cost of living? Are taxes contributing to uh, inflation rates that the Bank of Canada then has to increase um, uh, interest rates in order to cool down? Is that why it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not an economist. I don't understand how all these things work. Uh, there are questions I'm genuinely asking because I don't understand. Well, I think then a large part of the country don't understand because we're, we're expecting people with with the knowledge and the ability to say this is what we got to do. But if because what they're what they're saying we got to do, we're becoming poor. As a rich country that Canada is, we're becoming a poor, poor people. Listen, there are people that got lots of money. We all know that, and they're not struggling. Okay, so they're. Their disposable income, okay, they lost probably three or four thousand dollars last year. It's no big deal when you're bringing in five and six or seven thousand dollars, probably. But if you're only bringing in two thousand dollars a month, how do you think people are living? Do you think they're living healthy? Do you think that they can afford to live healthy? The answer is no, they can't. I mean, we get taxed and taxed and taxed. And government needs to come up with a better way. And I know it's not a simple issue, but at the same time, every time they put on a tax, they're taking more money from people's pockets. And I don't think they realize that because all they're trying to do is balance what they're trying to do in a big scale or even provincially on a provincial, uh, a provincial level. 
like, like, like the sugar tax. Do you think that really did any good? I don't think so. I, I don't see any good coming out except it puts more money into the coffers of government so the, go- so the government can satisfy probably some uh, groups that need an extra few dollars to assist them. Because the money goes in and the money comes out. And I bet you you'll find out that if they bring in an extra, ten, say, $10 million, where's this $10 million going? In you know the revenue that they got right in, is it going to health care? How much has gone to health care? How much has gone to low income people? How much is you know going to, in, in other parts? How much is going to to community grants? Items like this. I mean, is isn't it better that we focus on saying our main priorities is this, this, and this, and if it doesn't fit this, this, and this as our main priority, that we're not giving no money for it because we can't afford it. It's, it's okay to say we can't afford it because New Flanders Labradorians on low income are saying it all the time. I can't afford to pay me light bill this month. I'll have to try to make it up next month. But guess what ends up happening? Next month comes, they still haven't got the money, and New Flan powered in after three or four months. I send them notices to uh, shut the system down, to shut the electricity off. I mean, I'm sure MHAs can tell you stories and stories about people getting notices from Newfoundland Power. But I don't know, I don't know where it's all going to go, but I, I can tell you right, well, right now, low-income people are, struggle, are struggling, seniors are struggling, and where are they going to go? we got to take care of them some way or another. So we've got to come up with a plan that's going to be better effective and better usage for taxpayer dollars. Like you take Newfoundland Labrador housing, they say that there's all kinds of uh, housing units uh, are not filled, are, are not being used because it costs too much to repair them. Well, remember a couple of years ago, and I say a couple of years, it could be five years or six years, the federal government came out with a program uh, to help out low-income people, which was a good program, by the way. And they ended up, uh, uh, business people took advantage of it. And the ones that had the money to do so, because you had to have lots of money, and so that the rent wouldn't go up a certain height. Well, we need to have, and I say a two-tier Newfoundland Labrador housing situation, where there's, a, where there's low-income people who are being taken care of that, that are only paying very low rate. And then there's another group of people that can pay probably 500 or $600 a month. You can't afford, people on low-income housing, low-salary low seniors, they, they can't afford to pay 1000 or $1,200 a month to rent an apartment. So it's time for New Flanner Habitat to say, fix up these units and have a percentage for low-income people who are barely surviving. So that, that way they're, because they can't afford $1,000. People are out paying 800 to $1,200 a month here in Central New Flanner for our apartments. Yeah, unheard of. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I'm, I'm told that there are, like, no vacant uh, properties available in Grand Falls-Windsor right now. Like, if you're in the rental market in Grand Falls-Windsor, good luck to you. Well, it's good luck. You can't. Listen, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm living in Port Anson. I moved out to, when I retired, I, I moved out to Port Anson. I... I renovated uh, what we call my summer home, my cabin, and I made it into a house because I felt I could not live with, with the rising costs in Grand Falls, Windsor. The place where I grew up and lived all my life, I had to leave. But now I'm much better out here because I'm right on the water. Don't get me wrong. But there's challenges out in rural Newfoundland, too, with regards Absolutely. to that. Absolutely. But, but the thing about it is that if I decided to say I'm going back to Grand Falls, Windsor, no, 
I don't know if I can come up with that extra thousand or fifteen hundred dollars to to rent an apartment because I'm not used to paying it no more because I own my place out here. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm 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 living I'm living good. Don't well, don't get me wrong, and I'm and, and I'm not stuck for a dollar dollar. But I am also doing several jobs so that I can keep my standard of living high. A lot of people can't do that. Right, and I mean you've got to weigh that with uh, access to health care. Uh, you know, if uh, you were in an emergency situation, you know, uh, God forbid, uh, you know, you got to weigh the fact that you are now a bit of a distance from the nearest hospital. And, and listen, that's the price you pay. And listen, I live with and listen, I live with that every day. But if it comes to a point that I have no other choice, well, then I, I, I would have to come up with the money to go and go and live in the Grand Falls, Windsor, to go in to live in the St. John's or whatever. But the healthcare out in this area is probably not what it should be, because there's too many people without family doctors, and this where you know it, it all affects people's living, healthy living. It all affects people's abilities to pay. And I've heard Dr. Young on, and Dr. Young is doing a terrific job. Don't get me wrong. But you heard how many patients he's seen per month on virtual care. You know, I mean, if I had, if I, if I got sick tomorrow, I would have to go stand in the emergency room and wait to be seen because I have no family doctor. But you know something? It just as well not go because because when you go in, they're going to look at you like you got a dozen heads and say, "Well, you're going to have to wait because it's not it's not an emergency." You know, it's it's one one thing hits it goes across the board, and all of a sudden, before you know it, everything is being affected. So people are not getting the health care. People can't afford to go and wait hours and, and end when they haven't got family doctors. People can't afford proper housing, and it all adds up to where it's all going. It goes right back to your health. Cost of living. It goes right back to your health. Yeah, yeah. And I, I and and I don't know if people see this. You know, the, the government makes it look good, you know, that when it, oh, we're giving you a carbon tax rebate, a hundred and something dollars, or we're going to give you a food tax. Listen, that's insulting. That is insulting to seniors when you're, when you're giving them a, a food, a food gift of a hundred was, I'm not sure what it was now, $200 that seniors under a certain income got it. You know what I mean? I mean, to me, that's an insult to seniors. Give them tax-free status. Let them pay no taxes. Every month, then they got $150 that they got on disposable income that they can use to make their life a bit better. Because, listen, we're getting older. We're all going to die sometime. It's only a matter of when. So let's, let's give our seniors who created the foundation of our country today a better a better end to their life rather than forcing them to pay forcing them to pay taxes that is that is causing a a negative impact on their own way of trying to live until they die it's it's just the world's gone crazy it's all i can tell you and the thing about it is that we got to do better rex i I appreciate your call we uh, have some people waiting in lines there now but thank you very much right and one thing before uh, before i go this is a sports thing, and I do apologize. I want to uh, congratulate uh, Cass Davis, who was playing with, I believe it was 15 and under. They went over to Ireland this past week, and it was the first time Canada, I think it's called Canes Canada, had representatives from Canada over uh, playing the baseball, 14, uh, 15 and under boys, 
uh, and girls, I'm assuming. And then what ended up happening is that it was being on YouTube, and Cass Davis from Grandfather's Windsor, and I'll say Ganner because his family's he lives in Ganner as well, did a terrific job. And there's more New Flanners on on the team from St. John's, and I and I don't see that being on the sports enough. And I think that we should start praising up these young men because they are superstars in the waiting for baseball. Fabulous, great to hear, Rex. Thank you. Yes. Perfect. Take care of yourself, and uh, I hope more people jumps on board to speak about the issues of uh, high interest and cost living. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Any thoughts on what he's had to say? By all means, do give us a call. When we come back, we're going to speak with the MHA for Topsail Paradise, Paul Din, about uh, plans for a high school in that area. This is uh, open line. Here are the numbers to call. And we're going to go now to the MHA for Topsail Paradise. Opposition health uh, critic Paul Din. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I saw you had a little uh, release there on Friday about uh, these efforts to try and uh, gain a high school for Paradise. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing, uh, ongoing issue. Uh, uh, I guess the release has gone out just to keep people informed. And it's part, uh, well not partially but probably fully driven by uh by the parent group that's uh, that's come together now to uh, lobby and advocate for the high school so uh that went out on friday just keeping people in the loop it's something that is you know has been needed in uh, in the area for such a long time at least 8 years now that it was uh, first brought forward by the english school district and uh you know people are anxious and and, and want to see it happen so uh you know, uh, it's it sort of been on the back burner when we went through COVID and, and the like, but then when the uh, recent school announcement last year and the budget uh, in an adjacent community was announced, that sort of sparked uh, sparked uh, people's uh, angst over it, I guess, again, the lack of a school. And, of course, with the school year just starting, it's again uh, at the top of the uh, top of the list. And I suspect it's not going to fall any further now from, with, from the parents that are involved in this group. It's something to uh, they've come together to do to uh, have a, a continuous uh, uh, voice in place to to lobby for the school and uh, you know there was a, a, a parent in the community started a social media group there about a month ago and uh, I saw it and I said well look let's have a meeting you know let's have a meeting and, and uh, you know they all overwhelmingly parents came out they're all on board with this they uh, they have a committee put together now and a working committee uh, they have a plan of action in place and you know they're not going to let this go and, and neither will I or neither will the other uh, uh, politicians in the area because uh, it's something that's well it's needed you know uh, in my district alone you know I have uh, have a uh, four K to six K to five schools, a one K to four, and of course an intermediate school. And just across the street, I have <laughs> in Topsail, I have a high school and another uh, uh, junior high. And uh, so, so there's just so many schools in the area that ha- need to feed in, and there's nowhere for the kids to go. And we have. You know, in Paradise alone, you talk about a community that's grown, uh, approaching 24,000, you know, with uh, 2,500 or so students enrolled in the area and uh, additional uh, thousands enrolled in schools in neighboring communities. And you got a, a ton of uh, students being bussed out on a daily basis. It just makes no sense. 
that there's not a high school in such a fast-growing area. It, it doesn't in a lot of ways, and I've often remarked on this, you know, uh, when we've seen all of the uh, growth in Paradise and uh, Portugal Coast, St. Phillips and, and uh, CBS, for instance, yep. and I mean, uh, governments, whether they be municipal or provincial, uh, see and know that developers are putting up houses in, in areas, certainly, and the number of homes that are going in, and you know that that's going to attract young families. That's exactly what it's meant for. Uh, why aren't then pl- plans put in place? Why are we using old stats on um, enrollment to make our decisions where the schools go when it should be part and parcel of developments? Nespa? Well, you know, this is, a, this is the issue. You know, it's not just the current numbers. It's the forecast numbers, you know. And, and when the English School District had this added to their capital request list back in, I guess, 2014, 2015, you know, the government at the time, PC government actually at the time, it said, yes, let's build the intermediate school in paradise and let's, let's start work and they hired a consultant to do the high school. And, and the current government eight years ago or so came in and, and deferred the intermediate and deferred the high school indefinitely. But, you know, the English school districts is an arm's length uh, organization of government, and, and, and essentially they had the facts and figures and the projections and uh, that indicate, because you're talking about Galway, you're talking about Southlands as an example. Uh, we're not just talking about Paradise. We're talking about the sc- high schools in, in Mount Pearl and the high school in CBS. Those are overcrowded. Those are busting at the seams. It takes away opportunities for students to participate in many extracurricular activities, whether it be sports or arts or music or bands. Uh, and another high school would, would uh, you know, lead to more people or more students being able to participate and not be in overcrowded schools. Uh, the, you know, the data speaks for itself. And people are really in this community, and when I say communities, not like I said, not paradise. It's it's the neighboring communities who have their schools overcrowded. They all want to see a high school, another high school in the region that that takes the load and takes the pressure off the two that are currently there. There are so many young students being fed into the these two high schools it just makes no sense as to why there hasn't been an announcement yet and there should be an announcement in this budget and, and this is where these parents are going they want to see and i want to see an announcement in the coming budget on a high school and, and again when you look at the facts and figures there's no real reason why that announcement hasn't been made or acted upon well you know it, as i said it was noted back in 2014 2015 but it's time for it to be be acted on and the people who are paying for this or are, are, are suffering are, are the children you know who, who want the education and, and you know there's no in this day and age in an area such as this that is growing like it is in fact i just saw in the, in the media the other day that there was another 111 housing uh, subdivision announced in paradise i mean that those those the people going into these houses are young families young couples who want to, and they want to be in a community where kids can go to school and uh, right now it's 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 just not being acted upon by government, and it seems to be overlooked. And I, I hesitate to say what happens now when, when the school district's being brought in under the, under the department, if that's going to be better or worse for, for decisions like this. But, uh, you know, this school uh, group, they, they've gotten together. They've, uh, they have a, a committee in place, uh, very well, very competent, well-spoken, informed parents, everyone 
in this area are well informed on the needs of a school system in paradise and in the surrounding area. They know this, and they are not going to give up on this. And, you know, part of the process is an action plan going forward which meet with media, which, uh, you know, this is why this came out on, uh, on the last week, and they're going to continue to do this. I, I have a, met with the infrastructure uh, minister uh, uh, a couple of weeks back. I'll be meeting with the uh, education minister on Wednesday. I met with the past four infrastructure ministers. I met with, well, two out of the last three education ministers. One, one did not meet. Uh, but I'm going to continue on this road, too, to make sure that this community, uh, this district, this area, has uh, the system in place that ensures that kids and families here can see their children uh, in a school that's not overcrowded, that, uh, that teachers and staff can uh, concentrate on, uh, on teaching the kids what they need to learn. Paul, Dean, uh, really appreciate the uh, update on that, and we're going to be following the story very closely, as you can appreciate it. It affects so many people. Uh, thank you so much. I just wanted to shout out Rex. Uh, Rex talked about the ball team that's away playing in Ireland, and I've been following them on social media, and I just want to do a shout-out to them as well. You know, they're doing quite well. It's quite the experience for us. Oh, for certain, yeah. for certain. And uh, just uh, a, a very envious of their trip. <laughs> oh, look, if you go on social media, they're just smiles galore. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Glad yeah. to hear. And they're making us proud. Thank you. For sure. All the best, Linda. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, speak with you. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we're back. We're going to go now to Sandra. You're on the air. Hi, Sandra. Hello, Sandra. Is she still there? Very quiet on that line. All Hello. right. Oh, there she is. Hello, Sandra. I was almost sorry. Uh, I hit the wrong button. <laughs> so almost ready to give up on you. <laughs> no. Um, the reason I'm talking is because I heard on the news this morning something about I think with Alberta cutting out pensions. Uh, yeah, they're thinking about going their own way when it comes to Canada pensions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it said that it was going to go, going to affect us down here as well, right? Oh, it now, would certainly that, do so if, if that was the case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is that just Canada Pension or the OAS Pension as well? Uh, well, uh, the Canada Pension, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it would, uh, how it would affect us, but it would certainly uh, have uh, an impact if Alberta was to suddenly pull all of those, you know, um, Alberta citizens out of the system. It would change it dramatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, because, I mean, the price of food right now, I mean, I'm on OAS myself, myself my husband, and, I mean, the cost of living has gone so far down, we can't even, I mean, I hate to go to the supermarket. I really do. Yeah. Because every week you go, it's gone up $2, $3, $4. And I go, I look at my husband and say, oh, my God, you know, this week paid $4 for this last week, and now we're paying 8 I mean, it's outrageous. The prices that they're, they're charging for food in the stores, I mean, you can't live anymore. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. I, I don't know where it's all going to end. And I don't know what we as citizens can do about it. it you know, there's certain items that you can look at in our shelf and you say, well, you know what, that's going to stay there. Uh, but right. there's other items that you absolutely need. That's right, yeah. Yeah. 
And this sugar tax business, I mean, oh, my God, seriously. Now the government's going to tell us what we can and can't eat. I mean, give me a break. The last thing you need to put the taxes on is sugar, you know, and it's outrageous that anything with sugar in it is going to cost you more. Four days to say that we can't have it or we shouldn't have it or whatever. Well, the drinks, you know? the the sugary drinks, it's not sugar as a whole, but sugary drinks. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, I get your point. Uh, <laughs> some people have uh, asked, well, if, if that's the case, if you're thinking about, you know, people's uh, health, uh, put in some kind of incentives to make fruits and vegetables more affordable. Oh, God, yes, that would be wonderful. Because you can't afford to look at fruits and vegetables. I mean, a bag of apples is $8. In some stores, it's higher. And not only that, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, Sandra, but uh, in a lot of cases, I find some of the fruits and vegetables that you're buying, they last no time. No. You're paying more for them, and they last no time. Yeah, I bought a a package of, um, they had peaches on sale in one of the supermarkets last week, and I bought a package, and I put them in the fridge. When I went to get one, there was four on the bottom rotten. I mean, you know, that's a bit much. I mean, I don't know where they're getting this from, but obviously they're not doing a very good job of reserving them. Yeah, it's insult to injury when you pay that much and and what you get is, in some cases, not fit to eat. That's right. That's true enough. Well, thank you, Lena, for letting me know that. I appreciate it, and have a good day. All right, Sandra, all the best to you. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. We're going to go now to Robin. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, I want to comment about uh, Justin Trudeau <clears throat> ladling out another 650 million tax dollars to Ukraine. All right. Um, I think it's a big mistake. Uh, you've had a number of callers on before me uh, complaining about the cost of living, housing, food, you name it, but Trudeau is virtue signaling at our expense by ladling out $650 million more of our tax money to Ukraine. No end in sight. And I'm curious, why is he doing this? Well, uh, in part, uh, Zelensky sees us as an ally because we uh, in Canada have, uh, the, if uh, memory serves, the largest Ukrainian population outside Ukraine. Yes, but so what? We're in hard times, and this is our tax money, and he's giving it to a foreign government, which is notoriously corrupt. Um, Zelensky has canceled the presidential elections, and he's banned uh, numerous opposition parties. So he's not even a Democrat, as far as I can tell. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I guess, because as this drags on, um, more and more uh, countries are starting to uh, question their military support to Ukraine, uh, rightly or wrongly, I can't decide. Uh, Poland, for instance, uh, starting to um, um, take a more hardline approach, and Poland was always one of Ukraine's uh, staunchest allies. And to top it off, the war is lost. Uh, Ukraine and their counteroffensive lost about 400,000 
Ukraine dead, uh, they cannot replace that. However, the Russians can. And on the border, awaiting uh, Putin's order, is almost half a million Russian fresh combat troops to be sent into the war. And Ukraine has nothing to oppose them, essentially. So do you throw up your hands and say, well, that's it? Yes, walk away. Why should we throw more money down a hole? The war is lost. Ukraine is not worth defending as far as Canada is concerned. Do Canadians want to die for Ukraine? I don't think so. So that $650 million should be earmarked for Canada, not Ukraine. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, we'll see what our listeners have to say on that. But uh, it is a big ask for certain. And uh, and there are more and more uh, people globally who are starting to ask these que- same questions, you know. Um, uh, you know, Ukraine, an independent nation, um, invaded by a foreign nation. Um, I think in the beginning, a lot of people felt very strongly that, you know, we need to help them in, in whatever way is possible. But as you say, as it starts to uh, bog down, uh, serious questions have to start being asked, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, about continued uh, military support and, and with no real um, understanding of where it's all going to go. Yeah, and think of that for a moment. That's almost half a million dead in this counteroffensive, which totally failed. The Russian artillery is about the best in the world. Nothing moves on that battlefield that can't be blown to pieces. And that's what the Ukrainians have found out. Plus, there's half a million more fresh combat troops in Russia awaiting Putin's order. The war is lost. That's but what does it what, what does it mean in Europe as a whole uh, if uh, Ukraine falls to Russia? What does it mean? Well, that's up to the Europeans, isn't it? I'm talking about Canada. We want that money for Canada, for Canadians, for our cost of living. But it's certainly going to change things here, will it not? If if the whole uh, geopolitical dynamics in Europe change dramatically, but there, there, there's no evidence of that. Russia has no intention of invading Europe. Um, Russia was provoked into the war. How would the how would the United States react if Russian troops appeared on their border? I think they would not uh, like it, don't you? Russia, all Russia asked NATO uh, was a guarantee that Ukraine would never become part of NATO. He was turned down. And thus he invaded. He doesn't want NATO sitting on his border. And the West provoked this. And until we get new leaders, we'll continue to throw money down this hole. Robin, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. We have a few lines open now. Now is your chance to give us a call. We're back, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, and we're going to go to Lauren now. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Linda. Yes. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, not bad. Um, I'm calling about the gas prices. Why is our gas price still up so high in Newfoundland, and Nova Scotia is down 13.1 cents since Thursday? 
I guess we'll see uh, some adjustments in uh, the coming week, according to that, if that's the case. Why should we have to wait a whole week, Linda, in all fairness? Why should we have to wait a whole week? We're at a dollar ninety-five on something here on the Peninsula, right? And, I mean, I think 13 cents out would do us justified a little bit anyways, right? Yeah, I don't know so, if we always wait a full week because sometimes they apply the interruption formula, but it seems um, it seems as though it's usually when it goes up rather than when it goes down. Uh, thank you very much. That, that was the exact words I was going to say. They know how to use it when, when the gas is going up, right? But, you know, I don't care who said what, but those people... Watch your language people, now, Lauren. Oh, yeah, sorry about that, but... Um, um, those people should be kicked out the door as far as I'm concerned because they don't justify nothing nothing right when you say those people need to be kicked out the door what are you talking about the public utilities board utility board exactly or the people that run the government because I mean um, I guess I guess they tell the utility board what to do and what not to do right most likely that's the way it goes uh, right and uh, you know there's there's a there's a lot of a lot of issues in this province. In all fairness, I'm I'm a senior here in St. Lawrence, uh, and uh, and I mean if I want to go out in my boat today, I got to go over and pay a fee to go out in my boat, plus then the price of gas. Who in the hell can afford that? Nobody, right? I don't think so, anyways, right? Yeah. And I mean for for us people to have to well, look for to get permission as far as I'm concerned. To to take your boat out in, in the water? No, that's 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 not democratic. What do you mean, mean? Wait for permission to put your boat in the water? What do you mean in in terms of the recreational well, food fishery or? Yeah, well, okay. If I want to go to the recreational food fishery, where well, I don't mean St. Lawrence all year round or anything like that, but I mean uh, if wherever I go to a new plant, I got to pay a fee for a boat, right? And then plus the price of gas. Through the like, harbor? Through the harbor authority? Through, Is that what you're harbor. talking about? Yep. Okay. Through the harbor authority. Yes, exactly. Right? But, I mean, for to do this to seniors in, in, in this province, I, I think it's time for people to start to wake up and, and, uh, and start complaining about it because there's no need for that. All right, that, Lauren. Right? I warned you about the language. We're going to have to let yeah. you go now. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go now to Jawad Chowdhury, Director of Campaigns with uh, Memorial University Student Union. Hello, Jawad. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Good, good. So listen, uh, much concern among the uh, student body, especially at Memorial University that has a lot of foreign students, about this uh, uh, growing uh, tensions between India and Canada? Absolutely. Uh, just to... Uh, start off, uh, my heart goes out uh, to those affected uh, and students that are really concerned about their um, safety and uh, students that are disappointed to see this. Uh, it, it, it is uh, very disheartening to see students go through this. Students don't understand a lot of these diplomatic issues. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the way the governments are portraying those issues, uh, it, it, does, it does not seem like it's a general... It seems like it's more political uh, than it has to do anything with students.
students. Uh, so, you know, it, it's impacting students in a very, very bad way. Uh, if they're trying to come to Memorial uh, or students that have arrived here for this semester, uh, you know, seeing an advisory like that, uh, they're just trying to fit into a new culture here. Uh, they're, uh, they're trying to make friends uh, and just seeing an advisory like, uh, you know, you cannot travel around Canada and uh, you should uh, practice caution while doing so. Uh, those, those just add to those uh, new anxieties. Um, and, uh, and, and it's very bad for students uh, that are new, that are probably uh, homesick uh, and, and now have to figure out how and where they can travel. Absolutely, because I think most Canadians would be quick to tell them, look, you're welcome here, everything is uh, okay, but to get these kinds of advisories, as you say, with a very political um, message behind them, um, it's got to leave them feeling very uncertain if they're brand new to Canada and don't already know uh, what this country is like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's also, you know, students that come to Canada, uh, come here for a new life, come here because they want to escape something. They either want to escape, even if it's a good thing, they want, either want to escape an education system that's probably not being supportive of them. Or even, you know, if it's all positive, they're, they're still here uh, for a new life, for a new beginning. Um, something like this uh, really throws them off uh, from a personal point of view. But also, if you think about uh, their families back home um, and uh, concerns they are seeing, because uh, there's there's contradicting media both in India and in Canada. You know, Can- Canadian media has been truly supportive uh, and, and are showing us a good picture, uh, sort of what's happening into uh, this situation. But Indian media is really focused on defending the Indian government. So overall, what I'm getting at is uh, even students' families back in India, they're they're really worried if their child uh, would be uh, would be. Uh, you know, subject to discrimination here in Canada, um, and so those worries just never go away. Uh, it's 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 the families that are impacted, it's students that are impacted. Uh, it, it's just impacting a lot of people that uh, we love and care about. Well, indeed, it sows that increased anxiety, doesn't it, in an already kind of anxious time. Um, so, uh, Jawad, have you had many students come to you and say, look, what, what's going on here? How do, I, how do I get back to my family when I want to visit them later on in the year or when my semester is done? Uh, we we have not heard those concerns uh, yet, uh, but I'm, I'm sure there are students that are suffering. We're trying to reach out to affected students to see if we can provide them with support. Uh, Bansu has uh, immigration advice available. Bansu has immigration lawyers and retainers. Um, so, you know, if, if a student is suffering or um, is trying to navigate uh to just, just to meet their family and trying to navigate all these diplomatic issues. Mansu is here to support them. Uh, and uh, I, I also, you know, I, w- I want to be loud and clear that uh, Mansu stands against all discrimination and uh, we, we support love and uh, we are here to show care and affection to our students and help them any way possible. I know um, growing up on the mainland, I knew a lot of Chowdhury's who were of Indian descent. Do you have connections to India? I am half Indian. My mom is from India. <laughs> oh, I see. So you're part of feeling this, I guess, angst? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't have deep uh, family connections to India, but, uh, you know, just thinking about the overall 
uh, situation there. It's it's really tense. It's a, it's a division in the society, and that's not good. If uh, you know, I, I don't. Whatever may the, the difference be between um, this activist in Canada and the uh, and the Indian government, uh, those those should not really. Uh, the, the Canadian environment should not really have a foreign foreign interference and just affect our lives the way they are right now. So, you know, again, my heart goes out uh, to any Indian students that's uh, suffering from anxiety or uh, whatever it is at this uh, situation. I can't really relate to them, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's disheartening to see uh, this happening. And it is disheartening on many levels because Canada to now, or so I thought, had always had good diplomatic relations with India, a fellow Commonwealth country, you know, and there's been a lot of partnerships going back and forth over the many, many decades. So it's also disheartening just on a general terms to see this kind of tension rising. Absolutely, you know, and uh, Canada has a very, very large Indian population. Uh, anywhere, any province you go, you'll probably meet an Indian community there that have immigrated. Uh, and uh, just, you know, someone um, someone getting killed outside their own uh, prayer space uh, for in a place they have called home for years and years, uh, That's that's not truly fair. Absolutely. It's, uh, we don't know where this is all going. Hopefully uh, things will uh, ease at some point. But uh, Jawad, really appreciate your time and I really appreciate your uh, ability to get out there and, and send the message to uh, any Indian students or um, uh, Indians in Newfoundland and Labrador, either attending classes or working at Memorial or working here, um, uh, that uh, you know there's, there are people available to, to have a chat and, and ease whatever anxieties or fears you might be feeling right now. Absolutely. And it's not just one student, even students that are attending um, CNA uh, and other educational institutions across Newfoundland and Labrador. There's support available for everyone. Um, the Canadian Federation of Students uh, has you know, they are thinking about it. They're consulting on how to best support students. So there's support available for anyone. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's just about uh, us reaching out or the students reaching out. But, again, you know, our heart goes out to all students. And I, we really hope uh, that students can come together, uh, look over uh, the hate and discrimination, and uh, be the community that we have been for so long. Jawad Chowdhury, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And Jawad Chowdhury is the Director of Campaigns with Memorial University's Students' Union. Well, we're up to news time now. When we come back, we hope to speak with you. A couple of lines open now. We had a rollicking uh, 10 o'clock hour. Uh, Let's keep the conversation going. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 5.45 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune in to Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And we're back. We're going to go now to Wayne. You're on the air. Hello, Wayne. Good day, Linda. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Number one, top shelf. Good to hear. Linda, yes, Linda, listen to the gentleman earlier who was complaining about Canada's effort in supporting Ukraine. And I I realize that there are some people here that are facing some challenges with their 
budget and so on. But if you compare with the challenges that are confronting us with what is confronting the people of Ukraine, I think you'd have to come to the conclusion that we don't really have a problem. It can't be fixed with a little shifting around of some coinage. But if you're living in Ukraine, and I'll advance this idea, there is nobody in Ukraine today who wouldn't, at the blink of an eye, swap what they're facing with the minor challenges that we're facing here in Newfoundland. And so Canada is supporting them, and I'm a Canadian who will stay with the, any government who continues to support Ukraine for the old saying, as long as it takes. This is a this is a big problem, and we're going to all deal with Putin where he is now, or eventually we'll have him, or likely somebody as bad or worse that will be ruling us. So this is the time to deal with us. And uh, I support Ukraine 150%. No problem. So you don't have um, uh, any, um, I guess, questions surrounding um, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky's uh, ask of Canada for, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of more dollars in support? Absolutely none. Zero. I'm in full support. Because, as you say, the people there are, uh, would swap their lives in a second. Yes, I mean, we got some little budget problems here, and there are some people having some difficulties, you know, the grocery cost or their electrical energy cost. But those things are, you know, not really a serious, serious challenge. It isn't one that there couldn't be an effective solution put in place if the government can refocus sometimes on what people here are really suffering. And by that, I mean the provincial government. But what the people of Ukraine are facing is, you know, so horrendous and and such an example of inhumanity that I, I can't understand how anybody couldn't trade their little budget challenges here and and put the shoulder to the wheel that we're all going to have to do in supporting Ukraine. It just has to be done. Otherwise, uh, the way our style of living, our peace and quietness will disappear. We saw that back in the 40s, you know, when we were, the world was facing another, well, I won't put the word on it, maybe you wouldn't want to broadcast it, but anyway. Well, uh, yeah, the question is, you know, if we, uh, you know, vacillated at all uh, during the Second World War on what was going on there and Hitler's march across Europe, um, we'd be living in a very different circumstances right now. Exactly, and Hitler's success in marching across Europe was related to the fact that we thought you could appease people like that, but you cannot, and you cannot appease the one we're dealing with from Russia either. So it's just as well for us to deal with it. It may be painful, and it's certainly being being a, a painful experience for the people of Ukraine. That's going to go on for some time. We don't know how long. Hopefully, shorter rather than longer, but. I'm not optimistic about the shorter, but we have to do it. As, a, as a, a nation, we have to do it, and as a people, we have to do it. And it's just as well for us to put the shoulder to the wheel and, and carry on. And it won't be pretty, it may be difficult, but it has to be done. Wayne, I appreciate your call. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Lena. All right, bye-bye. Bye. We're going to go now to Rob. You're on the air. Hi, Rob. Good morning, Linda. Happy Monday to you. Same to you. 
Okay. So I just, uh, it's a little two-tier question, or rant, I suppose. Um, the CBS Highway coming from, you know, manuals down through, you know, Seal Cove and everything like that, and all the way out to through Holyrood and everything like that, um, is such a mess. Like, you know, they, they planned all this money to fix the roads. Um, in the last two years, I spent $5,000 on front-end work on my on my vehicle because you try to avoid the potholes as much as you can, but you can only do so much. And there is, there's nothing done, nothing whatsoever. And, you know, if somebody from away comes around, they think you're a drunk driver or something because you're trying to avoid all these. And it's just atrocious that, you know, I don't know if it's CBS, Holyrood, whoever controls it, or if it's, you know, federal um, or provincial, whatever. But there needs to be something done with these side roads. And then, like, I've heard other reports from, you know, other parts of the island where you get to the, you know, the, the other smaller roads. And there, there's just nothing being done with these parts of the road. And it's horrible. So you're talking about the main highway, the, the old Conception Bay Highway. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, you find that the maintenance is not being carried out there like it should? Oh, there's nothing. There's nothing done at all. Do you think that's like, because, uh, uh, you know, um, we've got that um, bypass road? Um, yeah, but once you, once you got the bypass road, but once, once you get down into just past Seal Cove there, it all goes back to the old highway anyways. Yeah. So, um, and it, it is atrocious pass there. Just atrocious. Like, I, I drive it quite a bit, actually, going back and through, forth from there. And um, like I said, you know, I, with my vehicle, I put a stronger front. I bought it at West in 2010. A couple of years later, I put a strong front end suspension in it and everything like that. Never had a hitch until I moved back here two and a half, three years ago. And like I said, I spent over $5,000 on front-end parts on my vehicle, trying to avoid potholes and everything like that. It's just atrocious all the way through. Right. So do you know if that's in the CBS uh, part of town or in the Holyrood side? Both sides. Okay. Both sides. All the way through, you're weaving and, you know, riding. You can't ride the middle all the time because there's vehicles coming on to you. So you got to ride the shoulder and the shoulders are all falling apart. Yeah, and it's relatively narrow, so you don't have a lot of options. No. And you also have a lot of people walking and stuff like that. So, you know, you got to be, and the speeds that people are doing are just, it's just stupid. It's just, I, I just can't understand why people are traveling so fast behind other vehicles, you know, trying to push people along to go faster when you're already doing 55, 60 maybe most times. Um, it, it's just atrocious. Um, but the, the, these roads down through here need a full maintenance cut right through all the way down. It's just brutal. All right, we'll see if we can get uh, some kind of a response maybe from the MHA for the area, see what they have to say. That would be great. Yeah. Um, and just another point there, like, so in Holyrood at the boardwalk there, you know, like a lot of people like to go down and, and you know, watch the water. They got that nice little park there and everything like that. Um, they've done a nice job in that. But when people pull in there, they want to pull in and look at the water. But trying to get in and out of there, it's like people use that part of the highway as a raceway. Yeah, you know, and it's on that little bit of a turn there, and there's some trees there and buildings. 
Yeah, you come around the roundabout and everybody just pours it on to get up the hill and everything like that. Like I was there Thursday and the police, like the police presence is really big there, which is great. And I seen within an hour, there was two guys pulled over, one going one way, one going the other way. They had pulled them over for speeding. But I almost seen two kids on their bikes. Now, this is the kids' fault. Um, they were just sort of hacking around and stuff like that, and they couldn't have been any more than 10 and 11. And they come down over a little bank doing a little jump and all this stuff and that right onto the road. And, and one kid had to lay his bike down and go onto the road or he was going to be hit by a car. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, parents have got to, you know, tell them. But I don't know if there's anything they can do with speed reduction around there at certain times of the day or, you know, whatever. But it's it that needs to be looked at, really, because, I like I said, I, I go down there and spend an hour a day down there or something like that. And the stuff that you see is pr- pretty amazing. Wow. A busy spot and a popular spot, too, as well. Um, Rob, I really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for taking it. All righty. Bye-bye. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we're back. We're going to go now to Maxwell. You're on the air. Hi, Maxwell. Good morning, Linda. How are you this morning? Well, I'm fine. I don't mean to sound too negative, but uh, I am advocating for fairness here. I'm, I'm going to give you a scenario now. All righty. My grandson went to St. John's about two and a half years ago, purchased a car, a used car there at a dealership. And, of course, he wanted to give the uh, the dealership uh, his business, you know. So he went back and had a few things done. And now this summer he went back for an oil change. Okay, now they, they were fair on that. They charged him 13705 for an oil change. Okay which included the oil and and the filter. Then he had a a little problem with it. The light in his motor was coming on, so they checked that, and they charged him $149.95 for putting the analyzer on, which was probably a five- or six-minute job to analyze. They determined it was a, a little chip in the latch on the bonnet, they charged him 149.95 for that, Linda. And you think that's bill, too much? Uh, for a total bill of 377.18. Now here's my grandson at Memorial. He he, uh, he took a, the liberty of buying a car. You can't be in St. John's without a car, Linda. So he was going to give the dealership, like I said, some of his business. <laughs> Well, when he was presented with the bill, he just about fell to the floor, he told me. And I said, you know what? I just about fell to the floor, too, when you disclosed the total amount, which is a bit ridiculous, uh, Linda. So um, uh, you were taken aback by how much it cost just to have that small amount of work done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Out this way, for example, if, if an analyzer put on a vehicle, I'd say the maximum amount would have probably been $50, Linda. And you know what? I think that they were aware. I think they have done enough um, service uh, work in there to determine that that was probably the, the, the problem with the light on in the motor, you know, 
the little chip in the in the in the bonnet. Anyway, he came away with a bill of three seventy seven eighteen. Now you know what happened, don't you? He's finished with that dealership. And yeah. don't you think he's right? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's so hard to, to judge these things because I don't know what goes into all of that. But, I mean, uh, each consumer in their own way has the, the right to um, choose where they want to go based on what they've charged and the kind of service they get. And I think sometimes, um, uh, whatever the situation may be, I think sometimes we feel like we don't have no control. But as consumers, we have lots of control. Well, you know, to me, it was it was a ripoff to me, Linda. Listen, he's a he's a university student, penny pinching all the way. I mean, I know all about it. I went to university. I didn't have any extra money. He's trying to fit work in between his studies. He's a very dedicated student, but I mean, to be to face a bill of three seventy seven eighteen right in the midst of his, of his uh, university education. I mean, to me, it's a little bit outrageous. Well, Maxwell, I'm glad you raised it. We'll see what others have to say if they've had similar kinds of encounters uh, over the last little while. Of course, as we know, the cost of everything is going through the roof these days. Um, uh, and there's a big difference, I suppose, between um, some of the... Um, uh, dealerships here in St. John's versus, you know, a mechanic, you know, uh, in your neighborhood or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I'd like to hear what people have to say ab about that. Really appreciate your call today, Maxwell. Okay. Thank you, Linda. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And I mean, sometimes uh, these things are lesson learned, aren't they? Um, you know, we we as individual consumers might find ourselves in those kinds of positions all the time. You know what? They gave me good service. I'm going back there. You know what? They gave me a good uh, deal. I'm satisfied with the work they did. I'm going back there. Uh, you know what? That seems um, ridiculous to me. I'm not going back there. Um, so these are all things that uh, people uh, have to weigh on an individual basis. We're going to go now to um, Tony. You're on the air. Hi, Tony. Hi, Tony. How are you this morning, Linda? All right. Oh, that's good. Uh, I just phoned about what's going on. First, I like uh, this guy, I think it was Wayne calling. Mm -hmm. I mean, my heart goes out to Ukraine, but for him to say that what's going on here is only, uh, you know, a bit of change, you could straighten it up. I know people who are walking away from their homes because they can't afford to pay the mortgage. Single mom walking away from her home, uh, had to put it up for sale. You got people, you got the first time ever we had got 10 cities basically in every province. And people can't afford to buy groceries. You got people 69 and 70 having to go back to work. And he said you can fix it with a bit of change. Well, I like the heavy change or fix that. Also, people can't even afford to buy their own medication or pay their bills. They can't even afford it. They're living on a visa card now. They can't even afford to pay that. So for him to get on and say there's only a bit of change that could fix this, like it's unbelievable. You've got people out there now, about 3,000 people waiting just to try to get a room somewhere to get in. Crying and everything, because I know a couple of, one guy that fixed up two rooms, and you have people actually come and crying for place to stay. And, I mean, for somebody to get on like that, I mean, he really don't know what's going on in the world. And, I mean, uh, it's uh, Trudeau's up there then boost, boasting about how he's looking after the farmers and how he's looking after the, the low-income uh, people and the people of Canada. They're going to continue. Well, the kind of people, the kind of help he's getting, we don't need. I mean, the same, you know, and, and the problems here is not much better. 
anyway, and uh, when you see if you when you see the debate yesterday, and you see we got hundreds of houses. I mean, Lloyd Parr brought up we got hundreds of houses here that is closed up and not even done, not even fixed up. Rather than you got meanwhile they're going to build six hundred homes now. They're saying when you got uh, hundreds of homes here and places where they could be having doing up for people. Like this is what's going on in this province. Like nobody all. All promises, no, and nothing done. And meanwhile, the people are the ones that goes and that goes without. I mean, this is what really torments me. And I mean, if uh, I mean, there was an excellent debate yesterday. And I mean, the passion was shown. I mean, especially with a lot. If you had any any thoughts of who to vote for yesterday, I mean, when you see the passion come out from Lloyd yesterday, and um, if you had watched it recently, I mean, you know, I mean, he's so passionate for this province. So you're a but Lloyd Parrot supporter. I'm a Lloyd supporter. Okay, the first time I seen him stand in the house and. Speak about the people of this problems. I never, I never, I never had no hesitation after that. I mean, he's just, he's just the number one. Like to me, he's he's passionate and he's experienced about fishermen. I mean, the fishery, and seen what equal pay, all of this. I mean, he was on the board, and I mean, he's got he's the point of, he's covered all of them. I mean, he's been in the hospital a lot this year, so he knows all about what how kind of health care we we haven't got and what we should have. And it's nothing to all do with the people that's in there. The guy you can't you be treated. As, as better as good as you can ever get anywhere. It's just that we don't have the staff. We got our emergency rooms closed because we haven't got any healthcare workers to keep keep them open. But yet they're building a new extension on the hospital. Like it doesn't make sense. So I mean, for 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 emergency, when we don't even, we got beds there, we can't even open because we don't have any nurses or, or to fill them or doctors. So I mean. I uh, just don't believe what these guys are doing in there, and they should be gone long ago. Now, and, Tony, uh, um, we're almost up to news time, but that's not oh, the reason okay. why you called. No, I called about Trudeau. I mean, here he is uh, over in India. He put on talks on hold, and then he went over in India, and he got basically got snubbed over there, and the, the, uh, the prime minister asked him to basically look at, uh, protect the people because uh, India is over here, and also because the, the Khalistan was threatening them and also threatening the India, and basically wants to overturn sovereignty. Anyway, he uh, came over, and he only said, he said, well, everybody, got, he he uh, basically uh, goes along with people who protest. And he said, because everybody got a right to protest, and he supports it, and he also supports freedom of speech. Now, here he is calling emergency acts when the truck drivers were out there, after they lifted, after they basically took down the blockade, and then passed the bill that would be nobody allowed to protest. On, uh, on the hill of House of Commons. So, I mean, here he is on the House of Parliament. So, I mean, here he is shooting this when he don't believe in it. And, I mean, what, why would he announce this now? And then he was over, broke down, I thought it would be, the plane couldn't get off because there was something wrong with her. Anyway, the Indian, uh, the Indian Prime Minister offered him to ride back, that he, they were going to bring him back, and he, would, he refused to do it. And when he came back then to announce this, when you got investigation on the go, an open investigation still on the go, and for him, right, uh, for him to announce this right away, because what it is is he's playing politics, and he's so far down in the polls that he got to try to do something. He thought he was going to get the people on, on board with him if he'd done this. There's no reason why he. Why would else would he do it? I mean, you know, like this is and to me it's unbelievable what he's doing. I mean, this is a guy that's he's a terrorist. And he's uh, proven to, after being killing, uh, I think it was the minister, or uh, one of the, I can't remember now what it is, in, in India, over that way, he, uh, a minister. Anyway, he turned around and when he put us out the red, I think it's the red corner seal is called, for to deport this guy, therefore, they automatically arrest him and send him back. Well, they wouldn't do this. 
And so, I mean, Trudeau right now, here he is now when they, when the, Beijing got in, uh, I'm all over the place right now because I'm in a rush. But I mean, uh, right now when they, when Beijing was accused of interfering into the elections, uh, they've been trying, when that came out, they, they were trying to get a, an investigation on the go. The opposition was trying to get them to agree to an investigation into this. And true, up to this day, they still refuse it. All right. Uh, Tony, we have to leave it there because we're up to news time, but I really do appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. And we are up to news time. Uh, We'll be back right after this. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And we're into the last half hour of the program. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off today. Nick is on the air. Hello, Nick. Hi, um, Linda. I just want to ask a quick question. Sure. We see Andrew Fury's going up to Fort McMurray there, talking about eighty something thousand jobs needing to be filled. I'd like to know where all the workers coming from because uh, all the unions out there, they're all laughing at this because basically they see no work out there, and all their members are waiting for work. And that's not counting the non-union side, so uh, it's uh, it's like a big myth. Like people are just wondering, you know, is this just another ploy because an election's going to be coming up soon, or what? You know, what's this for? Because uh, we don't see no numbers uh, to support that many people. Or would it suggest perhaps that uh, government is aware of of projects coming up that uh, haven't been publicly announced yet? Yeah, but I don't think they're going to be uh, coming up with jobs for 80,000 people in the next five years. That's a bit of a farce, if you ask me. Right. I'd like to see where the numbers are coming from and uh, how they're projecting this, because uh, I spoke to a few other uh, MHAs across on the other side of the table, the PC party, and they're laughing at it because they're hearing the same stuff. Like, uh, like where are these numbers coming from? Like, it's just out there. Uh, could it be perhaps with the incentives to uh, build more housing and, and with this hospital project coming up and uh, perhaps even Gull Island? I don't know. Well, before you get to 80,000 people here and you're talking about the housing part, I think you might want to get some houses here. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> we got no houses now and uh, people are short. So I don't know. I think he's putting the cart before the horse when it comes to some stuff he's been doing like this hospital there's no need to put in a hospital here yet we didn't need one the outskirts of st john's need uh, more medical centers than what we do right now uh, it's just crazy the way he the way he's thinking especially with school down his district you know and then the other districts like my own here in paradise that needs a school a high school at that you know it's a uh, it's a very backwards government from what i've been seeing and uh i'm hoping there's election soon because people need to open their eyes stop voting the way they vote all right nick i really appreciate your call this morning thank you yeah, no problem all righty thanks bye-bye your thoughts on what nick's had to say give us a call we're going to go now to verna you're on the air hi verna good morning linda how are you Pretty good. I'm usually calling about the Bell Island Ferry Service, but not this time. But it is under the same department. It's transportation and infrastructure. Um, when you go down to Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, where you wait for the boat, uh, on the side, it's called the Rock Cut. And that's where you normally would park to wait for the boat. Right. I've been for the last year or more asking them, could they go down 
and take a look at the side of the road. It's all nothing but rocks and big guts, like uh, cuts in the road and big potholes there that you have to drive into as you're driving down towards the boat when you're in that lineup. And, you know, so then you've got to come out of that side of the road and come right out onto the road because you can't drive in that because you lose the front end of your vehicle. And I've seen, like last year, people coming and the snow being on the side of the road and going into them ruts and ended up in the side of the road. Like oh, yeah. Towards the rocks. And I did, I have called uh, Dave Brassel on it. He has made them aware of it. I have twice called just this summer. Uh, the um, road repair department, and they said they would send somebody down to have a look at it. I'll, they don't have to put no pavement on it. Uh, they got, I'm sure they got graders over there. All they would have to have is a grader to grade that side of the road. Like it is not the road; it's the side of the road to get rid of the big rocks and the holes there. Just to, to go over it, smooth it off, and that's great. Because if they don't. Somebody's going to be a severe accident there, whether it be coming out on the road to go down towards the boat, or if you're going in the wintertime, you're going in towards the rocks. And I figured I'd give you a call. Maybe they're listening, and maybe they will go out and have a look at us. Fern, I really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you, and you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. She's talking about the area um, there near the Rock Cut when you go down into Portugal Cove to to grab the ferry for Belle Island. Uh, If you uh, have been, you know, back and forth there, commuting back and forth there, and you have any thoughts on it, you're welcome to give us a call. In the meantime, we got this email from Rick. He says, I agree with a previous uh, caller this morning regarding the road from Holyrood to Seal Cove. The whole thing, he says, needs to be redone. Too many culvert waterline cuts dips, potholes, crumbling edges, etc. He says if you drive slow to go easy on your vehicle, you'll be tailgated. He says he routinely has to pull off uh, the road where are safe to let the train through. Uh, he says, uh, by the way, the bridge also needs resurfacing uh, by the uh, tide in, in uh, by the tide in Harbor Grace. So uh, there you go. Uh, uh, Harbor Grace, Harbor, Maine, I'm sorry. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Bill is on the air. Hi, Bill. Hello, Bill. Hi. How are you? Good, good. So uh, I just wanted to make a quick comment on uh, uh, a caller you had back uh, some time ago here regarding the Canada and Ukraine, is Canada, Canada's support for Ukraine. Um, and he's uh, obviously not in favor of it. I think, I'd like to think, I think that the vast majority of Canadians would disagree with him, and certainly the vast majority of Newfoundlanders would disagree with him. And, uh, you know, the situation in Newfoundland, of course, is much the same as the rest of Canada, but inflation is not, uh, you know, it's certainly hurting, and there are many reasons to be thinking about uh, money. Uh, with that said, you know, he's not paying attention. To your, your previous caller is not paying attention at all to what's going on in the world or has no idea of historically of what's gone on in the world. You know, to, dis- to, to push that aside and say, we've just wrap ourselves up in our own little cocoon and, and let the Europe or, uh, worry about itself, let, uh, let Ukraine worry about itself. If there's one thing Pierre Trudeau or 
Justin Trudeau did right, and I'm not saying there's only one thing. I'm I, I have no particular party. Uh, it's his quick support for Ukraine. I certainly hope to keep hope that he maintains it. Uh, it's the right decision. There's no more right decision than that. And uh, Ukraine can certainly it certainly needs the help that it's getting from the rest of the world to let this go. You know, what, what does it turn into? A repeat of the 1930s, 40s, and, and another bigger war. You know, we might be all right. I may not live to see it, but it would, he will, you know, it will turn into an expansion and to, to have Ukraine you lose that right now. Um, they need our support, and, you know, I'm quite proud that Canada is putting what support, whatever support it can to Ukraine, more, if anything. And uh, our, our other problems inflation and everything else we will get through that so that's pretty much all i i, I just wanted to to have a, a word on that having i couldn't help but having heard the the attitude of that previous caller there about 20 minutes a half hour now right so you don't want to see any kind of isolationist sort of policies put in place uh, canada has a uh, role to play on the global world stage and um and you want to see that continue especially when it comes to countries like ukraine and we have the highest ukrainian population in the world outside of ukraine itself loud and clear that's my feelings on it and i i, I certainly hope that uh, canada doesn't slip and i hope the united states doesn't slip it sounds like they're you know wavering a little bit or but i don't think that's going to play out that way uh, i certainly hope canada doesn't slip or or make any changes there and i don't think we will and uh, it this this turns out you know for the good of, of ukraine and you know hopefully it's over soon but uh, we, we, you have, I guess when you get on board something like this, you can't assume, you know, you can't have the attitude it's going to be over in a week or a month or whatever. When you're on board, you kind of got to stay on board unless something drastically changes. And, you know, regards to the corruption that he mentioned in Ukraine, yes, I think Ukraine, according to the news report, Ukraine, Ukraine did have a, it's a, a, corrupt, a corrupt problem with corruption. A lot of that was taken care of, and their leader now, uh, Walensky, probably arguably one of the greatest leaders in the world right now. I mean, look at what that man is doing. It's fantastic, and he is taking care of corruption. That's pretty obvious coming out with that when he fired one of his top defense officials. I mean, that was going to bring some heat just to bring that out there, but he did the right thing, and, you know, it's obvious he's taking care of corruption. We all have corruption. Canada has corruption also, but you know, to no great extent. At least we don't think it is. But anyway, all right, Canada, B- Bill. Continue on what we're doing, and uh, and uh, don't listen to the naysayers. Uh, uh, the vast majority of, of Canada, I think, is behind uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau on this. All right, Bill. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Um, and uh, we are into the last 15 minutes of the show. Uh, fairly busy over the last little while. We do have some lines open now. If you have been listening to anything and want to weigh in, uh, now is your chance to do so. And we're back uh, into the last uh, few minutes of the show. And our lines are currently open. But we have been getting emails from listeners who uh, heard our previous calls about uh, Route 60 through Seal Cove and Holyrood saying, you know, what they are bad 
that and they're not very good and uh, they'd like to see that uh, stretch of highway um, um, you know redone completely uh, if you have any thoughts on that you're welcome to give us a call we also have been uh, getting quite a few calls about this whole question about support for Ukraine we had a caller very much opposed to continue to support f- for Ukraine but the bulk of callers since then have been uh, very much in support of continuing to uh, help the people in that country uh, fight off uh, the aggressor that is uh, Russia and the Russian invasion that is nearly two years ago. Can you just imagine now um, when that uh, first happened, anybody wondering whether or not uh, that would last this long? Um, Anyway, here we are. We're going to go now to Anthony. You're on the air. Hello, Anthony. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm uh, I'm okay. Uh, I'm just calling because I'm a little upset about the callers that called in earlier saying that they agree with Trudeau and uh, fighting this war in Ukraine type of thing. And there's basically, oh, we don't have any problems here in Newfoundland type thing. Those callers uh, need to go look around the cities and some around, and some around the airports and have a real look of the problems that we have here are our own. You know, I agree we should help people type of thing, but in my opinion, that this war in Ukraine is a fake war. I believe that the Biden administration is a criminal corrupt uh, administration. The United States has 23 bio labs on the borders of Russia type of thing. So if everybody thinks that this is just about Russia and them wanting to uh, take back Ukraine, it isn't because the, the media will make it type of thing. That Russia are horrible people. And it's not the people of Russia, it's Putin type of thing. And the policies surrounding Zelensky type of thing. And you Google him, uh, uh, how much money he's made type of thing, right? And what he gets paid type of thing, right? And his, his uh, income is not very much type of thing. Last year he claimed a million dollars. And there's other people say his uh, net worth now is over 20 million, right? So you got to look at both sides of everything, right? It's not just about not wanting to help Ukraine's type of thing. And we're, and we're doing more than that than we are for our own people. So, so what did you also, mean uh, off the top when you said this is a fake war? I that that threw me off. What do you mean? It's it's not about uh, Putin wanting to just take the, the land back. This has got to do with the United States too. That's why they're supporting so much money in there, type of thing. Because they uh, the Biden family is so corrupt, type of thing. It's not just his son, type of thing. It's his brother too, and Nancy Pelosi. They all have children in invested in oil over there in the Ukraine. That's a fact type of thing. And even when Biden sat on the thing, right, he had he had the uh, investigator who was investigating Burisma, who his son worked for, he sat on the tarmac, and this is true, you can Google it in the video, that uh, if Ukraine did not fire if, uh, the uh, investigator inv- investigating Burisma, then they would not get the billion dollars they wanted. And then uh, he, Joe Biden bragged about it, said, well, what the hell, five hours later, he was fired type of thing. Like but the fact of the matter is, I mean, what, whatever all of these machinations might be about, and I have no earthly idea, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that there are Russian troops on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, there are bombs um, uh, going off in Ukraine, launched by Russian troops uh, that are killing people, that are hitting apartment buildings, that are hitting daycares, that are hitting schools, that are hitting hospitals. 
And th- this is why it's such a fake war. If Russia wanted to take over Ukraine, you could have been and flattened it in a week. Everybody knows that type of thing, right? But it didn't but happen it because uh, Western nations have been helping Ukraine fight it. Yeah, and and hurting their own countries by doing it. Type of thing. This is not this is not about the Ukrainian people. This is about the United States of America. And I guarantee you, when as soon as Trump gets back in power, that that war will end in a week. Oh, very good. Okay, all right, interesting. How do you figure that? There was no wars under him, type of thing. Like I told you, type of thing. If you don't believe in the Biden crime family, type of thing, the stuff they did over there in the Ukraine, Trump knew what was going on. And the problem is, people hate Trump because of left wing media, and the CBC gets all their information from CNN. They don't check any other north, uh, news sources. Oh, that's not true. That's not true. That true. They have their that own sources. True. Absolutely. Yeah, CNN. All they right. Always use it. They always use it. and uh, uh, the global news does the same thing. They always use CNN as a reference, and they're fake news. So where do you gather your news then? I, I search all over Wikipedia, everywhere, uh, all over YouTube, stuff like that, and stuff like that that I said to, or I'm saying type of thing is uh, facts. Type of thing, but well, how do, how do you have them verified? How can you verify whatever? I mean, we all know that anybody can put whatever they want out there. Uh, so how do you verify it? Well, how do you guys protect uh, Justin Trudeau? Never mind. Uh, how do you protect him? Like yesterday, they had a uh, a Nazi in there, and they were praising him. Type of thing, right? Oh my Which goodness! I have no Trump. idea what you're talking about now. No earthly idea. You never, you never seen in the House of Commons when Zinzi is taping that the House Speaker they stood up and they praised a guy who fought against the Russians. He was a Nazi. That's a fact. That's on your news. Go check the news now. It's there. That's the thing is, like you see, you people are so far on the left side. It's unreal. I can't wait till the conservatives get in power. I can't wait down the states till the Republicans get in power type of thing. They'll put it into all this garbage, open up the oil, uh, climate change type of thing. Oh, my God, climate change is uh, carbon taxes. The carbon taxes hasn't taken one molecule of carbon out of the air. And we need carbon. Since the year two, uh, since 2000, the earth hasn't uh, gotten greener by 15% because of the carbon in the air, right? But you have to um, agree that uh, our climate is changing and it's changing dramatically and it's changing well, quickly. It's not because of carbon. It's, it's, uh, we're still coming out of an ice age. It's not because of carbon. It's not, not human intervention and what we're doing and the industrialization of this planet and all of the pollutants that yeah. are going up well, into the yeah. air is okay. not yeah. affecting not, the climate. Not, it is not, type of thing, right? And Canada is the only country. United States don't pay carbon tax. Mexico don't pay carbon tax. It's only Canada. That's true, though, because the liberals are big spend, big tax governments, and they always have been. And they're ruining Canada right now. I can't wait for the conservatives to get back in, the Republicans. Donald Trump says the first thing he's getting back in, he's turning on the taps, because when he was in power, they were oil independent from other countries. And if you can produce your own oil, why would you buy uh, dirty oil from Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or Russia, right? All right, Anthony, we'll... These are all facts. 
I'll uh, appreciate your call this afternoon, uh, this morning. It's still morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope I hope people out there listen to this type of thing because it, it, it's uh, it's a sad what's going on in Ukraine. Yes, type of thing, but it's not what they believe it is. All right. Thank you very right, much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Anthony there with his own uh, view of uh, what's going on in the world. Uh, and he'll have the last word here on Open Line today. Uh, and just like that, look at it. It's clearing off. When we started the show this morning, Dave, uh, it was uh, just like dusk out there. And now the uh, skies seem to be clearing off, as Brian Medore reported it would. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, so uh, he's up now for uh, news time uh, with all the news that you need to know for today and into the afternoon. Uh, I'll be back on News Talk this afternoon at 4. Do join me then. In the meantime, have yourselves a great day.